Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. Starting at Stamp Duty Holiday is quite easy, but ending on is difficult. Whether they needed to extend it to the end of June and then to taper it to the end of September, I'm not sure that was needed. It's hard to get deals. Things are kind of overpriced. It's very hot. People are overpaying when there's still a real lack of supply out there. There's no doubt that many households who have made that move over the last 18 months, it's been triggered by needing more space in their home or by wanting to live in a different part of the country. And we think that that trend has further to run. Today, I'm joined by witch property expert Stephen Maunder to discuss the huge impact the stamp duty holiday has had on the market. We'll be covering rising property prices and record low mortgages and asking whether higher interest rates could be on the horizon. We are witch. Last month, we finally saw an end to the stamp duty holiday, the big move made by the government in 2020 to help stimulate the property market and the economy during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I remember discussing it on the podcast before it came in, and experts were really on the fence as to whether the government would make such a bold move. Because... We're talking about a super tax break here, aren't we, Steve? The stamp duty holiday meant buyers could save up to £15,000. So can you start by taking us through how the tax threshold has changed over the last year and what it's reverted back to? Well, yes, it certainly has been a sort of super break, as you uh, describe it. In England and Northern Ireland, the threshold for people moving home was raised from 125000 to £500,000, wow. which meant people buying homes for more than half a million pounds could save up to £15,000 on that. This has really resulted in a supercharged market, particularly in the sort of the middle and slightly higher parts of the market where those bigger savings are on sale. Mm. And the the government clearly realised that this was heading to quite a significant cliff edge because originally it was supposed to end on the um, the 31st of March and then it was extended till the end of June. But rather than having the cliff edge at the end of June, the government then brought the threshold back down to £250,000 for three more months just to try and taper it off and absorb some of the impact. Mm. Um, It's kind of been a crazy time in the market and it's really, really difficult to get an easy gauge on what's happened, especially given that the savings in England and Northern Ireland were potentially so huge. But in Scotland and Wales, the thresholds, were only increased to £250,000 rather than 500000 So when you look at your kind of charts, I know we'll talk about it later, but when mm. you look at your charts of kind of house price indices, they're really all over the place this last year. 
So let's get into then the, the impact the stamp duty holidays had on the market and prices. First, we've been speaking with Tom Bill, head of UK residential research at the estate agent Knight Frank, about what it was intended to do and how it affected demand. Well, I do, I do wonder what the impact, what was hoped initially. I think it was a mixture of things. I think initially, um, Rishi Sunak sort of pulled the lever of a stamp duty holiday because it was designed to sort of help the wider economy. It wasn't, I think, think designed to prop up the housing market because even after the market opened or reopened in May uh, of 2020, you could, you could sense that it was the market itself was, was, doing, was doing okay. Um, I think it was designed to help the wider economy and w- all, all the knock-on benefits that, that there are, obviously, to moving house and um, or, you know how, how that benefits lots of other parts of the economy. So I think that's why they did it. I don't think it was a housing market, so I think it was targeted to help the housing market, and and it, and it worked for it, it absolutely. I think you know drove drove demand. It, it's it really did shape the market for a while. You know, we saw a big spike in March when this, when it was due to end, but didn't. Um, it, it was announced that it was going to be the, that the end of the holiday would be deferred at the beginning of March in the budget. So we saw a big spike in March. We saw a huge spike in June when, where you had this maximum £15,000 saving. And we saw a sort of mini uh, mini spike, if you like, at the end of um, September when when the um, the final £2,500 saving ran out. So I, I think it, it was... He did the right. I think it was the right thing was done at the right time. The problem that they that they came across though is that starting a stamp duty holiday is quite easy, but ending on is difficult because you get a, a long tail of you know, bottlenecks in the conveyancing system, uh, and you have a lot of people who are you know potentially not going to be able to benefit or complete in time benefit from the from the holiday, which would have generated all sorts of negative headlines. So I think they were right to. Um, they were right to taper it. Whether they needed to extend it to the end of June and then to taper it to the end of September, I'm not sure that was needed. It did its job. Uh, it probably ran on too long, I would say. Um, but the taper, I think, in retrospect, was probably quite was a good was a good thing to do because it, it sort of petered out really uh, has petered out over the last three months, which is you know much preferable to any kind of cliff edge that, that would have been otherwise. The peak that Tom mentions there in June, that was, of course, the month before the tax break began to phase out when buyers were rushing to complete to get maximum savings. And HMRC reported that the number of residential property transactions in June reached double pre-pandemic levels. But with this also came a spike in property prices. According to the Land Registry, from May to June, in just one month, house prices were up 4.9%. And year on year, June was up by 13.3%. Steve, what do you make of this rapid growth? Does it mean buyers might have been getting a worse deal than they bargained for? Well, in in some cases, yes. Um, That's almost certainly the case. It's kind of hard to come up with a blanket judgment on that but we almost certainly have seen situations where people in the kind of the frenzy of competition and the bidding war have maybe spent £20,000 more than they would have done previously to save £15,000 in tax and that has really charged the market. We have to remember when we're kind of casting judgment on those price rises that Covid has played such a huge role in this we had before the end of the stamp duty break, we've had over a year of people being sat at home in isolation and the changing of buyer priorities is what's brought that bottleneck in the upsizer market. People realising they need homes with more outdoor space, somewhere they can work from home, a proper kind of office or spare room. And that demand has brought higher prices. Now, whether you think 
that's bad because it means people have overpaid and they've bought in a supercharged market. I think that's a fair judgment to make. But also we have to think about the longer term. And some of the examples here in the upsizer market are people buying larger family homes and forever homes, if you like, which can ride out that short term price growth madness that we've seen. And maybe someone who we think has overpaid right now may end up sitting pretty in 10, 15, 20 years. There are conflicting reports about what has happened to house price growth since the stamp duty holiday came to an end. So from July to September, during the tapered end of the tax break, the land registry in its latest report for July, because it has a two month lag, it says month on month prices were down 3.7%. And that's two months before the final deadline at the end of September. But if we look at a recent report from Halifax, it says September saw its biggest rise in agreed mortgage prices in 14 years, and that was 1.7%. Steve, what's the reason behind this fluctuation and what do experts expect to happen with price growth for the remainder of 2021? It's just a really confusing picture, isn't it? Mm. Um, There are so many factors with house price indices that they're headline grabbing, but it's hard to get a clear picture of what's happened even in normal times, in in sort of inverted commas, uh, let alone what's happened in such a frenetic market. So the land registry is widely accepted as being the most reliable data. It's based on actual sales. But there's a two-month lag for us to get the data, and there's also a lag in houses being registered with the land registry, especially at a time when so many transactions are going through and causing delays in those formalities being completed. So we're here in October. Uh, Next week, we are due to get the August house price index, and we could be seeing houses in the August house price index that were sold in, say, June. So it's so difficult to get a handle on it. Uh, When we look at the other indices, Halifax, Nationwide, uh, etc., they're based on mortgages uh, rather than sales. So they naturally come out with slightly different uh, statistics because they don't factor in any uh, cash buyers. And Halifax index has been going for a very long time But they've recently changed their methodology as well. So it really is incredibly difficult to get a handle on where we are right now. Generally speaking, experts think things are going to stabilise. That's the message relatively across the board. There is still a supply and demand issue, which I think we'll go into a bit more detail on later, which means house prices won't necessarily fall. But I think the latest predictions show that Savills, Hamptons, a few other agencies and experts are predicting growth of maybe between 3 and 4% in the next 12 months. So it's not going to be nearly as volatile as we have seen. And we've also been discussing prices and supply and demand with the property developer and podcaster Tej Singh. Here he tells us what it's been like buying and selling over the last few months. Buying has been pretty difficult, you know, going from a volume of buying, you know, one to two houses a month kind of pre-COVID to now being zero in, you know, six to eight months is, you know, is a really big difference. And, you know, I think it's been driven by a few things, you know, we can talk about, but, you know, what I'm seeing and what I've seen is a real lack of supply, you know, trying to find houses that I can add value to. It's just, you know, the numbers are drastically different selling property though you know I I managed to you know as much as I'm not getting deals at the moment I did manage to pick up a good deal in auction and 
you know, I'm selling it at the moment and it's selling for, you know, a significant amount of money more than what I had in my spreadsheet and more than what I, you know, kind of predicted it would sell for. So it's hard to get deals. Things are kind of overpriced. It's very hot. People are overpaying um, and there's still a real lack of supply out there. Now, just while we're still on tax and before we get on to mortgages, I'd like to touch on one of the biggest stories of this month, which is the Pandora Papers. It's a leak of nearly 12 million documents revealing tax avoidance by some of the world's most wealthy. And UK property has often featured in the headlines, including that Qatar's ruling family have avoided an astounding 18.5 million in tax on a London mansion, as reported on the BBC. Steve, how did purchases like this one avoid stamp duty? Well, the the publication of the Pandora Papers has certainly shone the spotlight on instances of the super rich investing in UK property. Mm. And it's kind of mind-boggling the sums involved. In this particular instance, we've seen the Qatari ruling family essentially using a web of offshore holding companies to invest in London's property market. Now, using a company to buy properties is... Something that we know about, this is nothing new. Lots of um, professional buy-to-let investors, for example, use company structures rather than individual structures. And using a company structure essentially means that you don't need to pay stamp duty. But, and this is quite crucial, there are other taxes you would instead need to pay if you buy residential property in a company structure. There are ongoing taxes that are payable every year in some cases. Now, We don't know whether in this particular instance the stamp duty has been avoided by the structure, but those other taxes have been paid. We're not not completely sure of the details. And the government has promised to crack down on this. There's been a lot of complaints over the years about foreign investment in the UK property market being veiled in secrecy Mm. and the government has said a few times um, both the current government and the previous government has pledged it will introduce legislation which will make it compulsory to have the name of who owns uh, property that is bought by foreign companies in the UK so rather than buying it under kind of faceless shell companies you would have to put an actual name on it and this the government believes will cut down on um, issues around money laundering But the truth of the matter is nothing has come into law yet. So it's very much a case of just watch this space at the moment. And Steve, do you think they'll address this in the budget, which is in a couple of weeks time? Quite possibly. It's certainly a topical issue at the moment. And I think it's something that although it involves kind of super rich, uh, multi multi million pound mansions in this particular instance, mm. we are still in a situation in this country where there are huge issues over housing affordability. And this being such a humo- humongous story in the British media really will cast a light on what is going on with the top end of the property market. And does the government need to do more to essentially tax and cut down on this? Now, moving on to mortgages, listeners might remember us discussing the very newsworthy sub 1% mortgage rate that TSB offered back in May. And some good news for homeowners is that rates have continued to plummet to now record lows. Steve, why are they so low at the moment? And what are some of the best deals out there? 
Yeah, it's it's something we didn't really foresee happening, to be honest. Um, back in 2017, Alenda launched uh, a sub 1% fixed rate mortgage, and it was a very big bit of exciting news because it hadn't been seen in so long. But now we're looking at dozens of mortgages having rates below 1%. And I think at the moment, we've bottomed out at around 0.78%, I think it's the cheapest two-year fix at the moment. And these are crazy figures, really. Um, we've even seen examples where this is being passed on across the board as well. Um, the new mortgage guarantee scheme came in in April to bring back 95% mortgages. And we were looking at rates of around 4% then. Mm. And now we're seeing rates of around 2.7%. So all the way across the whole mortgage market, prices have been dropping. And what this is an example of, it's banks competing to really make hay while the sun shines in what has been a thriving market when um, borrowing for banks is obviously very low due to the low base rate. And I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news here. You have to be really careful with some of these deals. A lot of these deals, particularly the five-year fixes that kind of show rates of around 1%, are bundled with fees of £1,500, in some cases £2,000. And what that means is sometimes if you can get that deal at 1%, but it has a, a fee of £2,000 on it, a deal at 1.3 or 1.4% actually might be cheaper in the long run if that doesn't come with an upfront fee. So while lenders are cutting mortgage rates quite dramatically, they are still looking to be savvy and make up those losses elsewhere. So you really need to be careful when comparing deals. And if you're not sure, let's just say, please use a broker to look at the full cost of those mortgages for you. But if your mortgage is coming to an end soon, would you recommend locking in a deal now? Because just yesterday, I saw an article in the Telegraph headlined, interest rate rises are coming. Can you explain why experts are predicting this? Uh, well, yes, that that is the sort of the longer term bad news, um, unfortunately, is that there seems to be quite a popular train of thought now that it would be surprising if we didn't see a rise in um, the base rate from the Bank of England in the coming months. And if there's one thing that increases mortgage rates, it's a rise in the base rate. And even sometimes the prospect of it can see rates rise. One of the reasons behind this uh, is ultimately that we've had such a low base rate for so long. We're now seeing inflation rising quite rapidly and there will have to be a kind of leveling out of that. This means those sub 1% deals are highly likely to come to an end soon. Um, so if you are coming to the end of your fixed term now or in the next few months, then to be honest, you've quite possibly hit the jackpot uh, still being able to secure such a low rate because next year it's highly likely we'll see even those best deals creep back above 1%. And if you are looking to get a mortgage or remortgage in the coming months, here's some advice from Nationwide's Head of Mortgages, James Pagan. If you've got a big deposit, then rates are at historic lows. If you've got um, a smaller deposit, rates are rapidly um, improving um, and are almost back to where they were before the pandemic. So if you have a 40% deposit at the moment, you can secure a rate below 1%. Um, with a 5% deposit, you'd be looking more at somewhere between 25 and 3%, um, and then there's a range in between. 
but you know there is some really excellent value out there at the moment i think it's i think it would vary by what you're looking to do so if you're looking to remortgage or refinance with your existing provider then um you know that really is about working through rate first and foremost and seeing um what works for you if you're looking to buy a house and obviously you're going to be work you're going to be working through both what can i afford and what are the rates out there um and, and how will that help me find the home i need so um you know there are lots of research tools out there um and you can really use those to work out quite early the your choices between how much you borrow and how much that will cost you on a monthly basis it's a very complex picture out there with mortgage rates record low and house prices higher year on year. Steve, to finish, it'd be great to get your thoughts on the big question, whether now is a good time to buy. First, let's hear from Zoopla's Gronya Gilmore on her predictions for what could happen over the coming months. The demand and supply imbalance that we're seeing across the country um, looks set to continue because we believe there could be another wave of buyers who perhaps had no intention of moving at the end of the beginning of last year, but now find that they do want to move. And the reason for that is for those who are office-based workers, a lot of employers are now confirming how they would like to conduct business going forward. So people may have confirmation now that, yes, we will be having a flexible office life. So they will have the confidence to make that move if they've been living close to the office, they may have the confidence now to move further out or to move somewhere else in the country altogether. There's no doubt that um, many households who have made that move over the last 18 months, it's been triggered by needing more space in their home or by wanting to live in a different part of the country. And we think that that trend has further to run. So we believe that house prices will end this year very firmly in positive territory and will probably stay there right through next year as well. Steve, now what advice do you have for anyone listening? I think my my key kind of piece of advice would be to think about the longer term and don't make any decisions based on just what the market is like now. I mean, there's no guarantee um, that the economic uncertainty we've seen over the last few years will completely blow over anytime soon. We've seen you know lots of issues in lots of markets at the moment. And while property is really robust generally, despite all of the economic challenges we've seen, we could still see rocky periods to come. So I think my advice would be if you're going to buy a home now or you're thinking of buying a home now, make sure it's one that you'll want to live in for at least a few years. Because if you're just buying for the short term and maybe thinking of upsizing again in 18 months or two years, you could really be at the mercy of price fluctuations, especially in a market where prices are being kept high by a lack of supply. I guess the other point is always do your research. You use a broker to find the right mortgage. Really look at the area before you move in. Spend time really researching everything, whether it's your local schools, local amenities, what's happening specifically in that market. Because, you know, house price growth or um, depreciation can change from street to street, let alone town to town. And I think finally, buy with your head rather than your heart. Don't let competition to secure a home make you overpay and get carried away and make a bid on a property that is unrealistic because that could leave you in trouble further down the line. It's not a bad time to buy right now, but it's also not an excellent time to buy either. So take your time and do your research. 
Thank you so much to Steve and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you have a few seconds spare now, we'd really appreciate you giving us a review. They're so important when it comes to others finding our show. And of course, we'd love you to share your thoughts on the episode and any questions you have, and we'll try and address them in an upcoming show. And of course, you can also find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was recorded by Ian Aikman, produced and edited by Rob Lilly.